Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast and joining me on the screen here for a live weekly visit is Frank from Rockets Chop Shop. And Frank, we can actually talk about two clutch wins against quality teams. Yes, that's a good sign. <laughs> what impressed you yeah. from uh, the Rockets uh, victories over the Suns and the Sixers? I, I guess just the resolve of the team. I think as, you know, we debate different things about the Rockets. Some people want to talk about tanking. Some people want to say we should win more. I think at the end of the day, when you have that level of effort, even though some of the their wounds are self-inflicted, um, it does show that they have a base character that you can build upon. And I think that was the most encouraging thing from seeing them um, kind of gut out these wins. And I think the experience of playing against even though um, like Embiid and Harden, uh, especially Harden may not be in his peak form right now, those are still quality opponents. Um, those are still, you know, still guys that have been there, done that. And for our guys, I think it's uh, it's it's beneficial. These are reps and, and experiences that they will never get in practice. They don't get to go into overtime, um, you know, a lot against a good opponent, especially high, high IQ players like uh, James Harden and Embiid. So just for the value of that experience, I think it, it was a, it's a great thing for them. And I feel like them trying to compete, win or lose, these are the type of moments that prepare them for whatever future uh, outcome that they want to see as a team. Well, I see we got a viewer from London. Hello to London. And, uh, you know, Bruno Fernando is back, Frank. The Rockets plus 23 and is 40 minutes on the court in the last three games. With Bruno, you think of his defense mostly, but KPJ appears to have offensive chemistry with him in the pick and roll, and for whatever reason, doesn't have it with Shangoon. What do you think of Bruno overall and him taking away some of Garuba minutes as well? Yeah, Bruno, he brings a different element to the team. Um, that vertical spacing um, that he brings on both sides of the ball, and I think uh, as far as his relation with KPJ, um, that is a a read that Kevin Porter is comfortable making. Um, you know, I definitely do see that they have a bit of a relationship with the way they play on the court that he doesn't really have with Alperen Shangun. And on the uh, opposite side of that, Jalen Green seems to have a better relationship operating the pick and rolls with Alperen Shangun than he does with Bruno. Because when I, I I've probably seen Jalen throw Bruno about maybe one lob or, or two in the entire season. So, um, you know. Crazy enough, Jalen Green's the better pick and roll ball handler than Kevin Porter Jr. Um, on this team. So um, I don't know if that speaks to you know my issues with using that as a basis for starting Bruno over Shangun to cater to Kevin Porter Jr.'s uh, need for that vertical lob threat. It kind of like okay, that's great, but he's not very good at it. So why are we prioritizing an action? for an entire team that's based on something that we are probably the worst at doing um, in the NBA uh, as, as one of the high frequency team for pick and roll. So um, I think Bruno's great in spots. One thing that people will notice when he plays against these elite centers, he doesn't do very well. Um, Nikola Jokic basically made him unplayable. And the same thing with Joel Embiid, because as good of an athlete as that Bruno is a lot of those guys, you have to play them with your mind and it's more mental and being able to anticipate in some of the other nuances of basketball that at his young age, Shangun actually has compared to Bruno. So um, I think that he is good in spots and 
in different certain matchups, he'd be great. But just as a starter every night, I don't think he's that guy. Hello to Brandon, who's watching right now. And uh, he has a quick comment about KPJ does seem like he has started to defer to Jalen when he's cooking. So uh, that's interesting. We'll take that into account as we move forward. And But your your stuff about Bruno, Frank, that leads me right into a conversation about the starting center, of course, Shane Goon. And he's, you know, he's still starting despite early in the season we saw that he wasn't starting. But before I get to Al P, just a quick reminder to support the show by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. Watch our live Texans postgame shows with my co-host, Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. We'll also do a show tomorrow on the end of the Justin Verlander era for the Astros. So you're going to want to tune into that one. But Frank, I know you have strong opinions on Shane Goon's defense. We've talked about some different things, but it feels like there's some real meat on the bone with Shane Goon and his defense. I'm not sure if there's any debate on what he does for the offense. I think the fans all feel like, you know, he's a great offensive weapon, but they're concerned by some, especially Silas, if you watch Shangun disappear late in some fourth quarters, as we've seen this year, is his defense. What do you think about it? I think it's it's matchup based. Um, his archetype, he's never going to be a guy you can just roll out for every type of team. Um, it's going to be heavily dependent on who we're playing. And um, and to me, that goes for there's very few bigs in the NBA that you can just, regardless of the context, they can be out there with your closing five, starting five. And you're talking about guys like Anthony Davis and those kind of unicorn type of players. Uh, we don't have anybody close to that right now on the roster. And Shangun is definitely not one of those guys. So for him, he's just like, you know, any other uh, non-athletic big. You have to pick your matchups. If it's going to be a bang and bruise type of game with Embiid's and Jokic's and these bigger bodies, then, yeah, that's his game. Let him get in there. He's pretty strong for a kid. He's going to get stronger. He's going to get smarter. And with the things he brings on offense, then you kind of are okay with him being on the court. If we're playing a five-out team or a, or the small ball Warriors or something like that, then I don't want Shangun out there because he becomes a liability, especially on those teams that run a lot of dribble handoffs and they do a lot of pick and rolls um, without focusing on the big man or or, or, the, or pick and rolls with the intention to pop or short short roll forces him to move his feet, then he gets into trouble. I think people have this view that it's all or nothing. And my perspective on the center situation is always, it's a matchup. There's some games Bruno can play and close in the five, and there's some games that he can't. But it's not just like one size fits all. Yeah, his issues with fouls are my biggest pet peeve with him defensively. The foul trouble is also limiting his aggression defensively besides limiting his time on the court. And not only are the fouls bad defensively, they hurt you offensively because if you think about it, it allows the opponent, Frank, to set up their defense on the other end as well. Yeah, the fouling is definitely an issue, and it's uh, due to overcompensation, um, trying to, uh, you know, make up for some of the limitations that he has physically. But I think over time, as he gets more experience and understanding what guys are trying to do, he gets a memory bank of different players, then he'll learn not to foul. I mean, during that stretch where he was, Silas trusted him to close out the game with the starters, um, he had five fouls and was able to play from two minutes at the in the fourth quarter through first the first overtime, and he didn't foul out till midway through the second overtime. So in those high leverage moments, and, and Embiid was hunting him, trying to get him out the game, and he was actually shutting down Joel Embiid um, at that point in the game with some great, great defense. Um, 
and just being smart and knowing when to step up, not falling for the fakes because I feel like Al P is good at reading those fakes because he does them a lot. Uh, when him and Jokic were going back and forth, it was like they're two two guys that are very kind of uh, herky-jerky in their post moves. And so he knows what jo- uh, Jokic was trying to do. And I feel like Embiid is that type of guy as well. If you watch Bruno against Embiid, he was jumping at everything, trying to uh, leap to shot block. You can't, you're not going to out-athletic those types, those high-skilled guys like that. They're going to play on your every aggression. So um, I think he can do it. I think the fact that they were able to, uh, he was able to get a good reps in a close game that we were trying to win. And I think that should be confidence for him to know that, hey, I can play without fouling. I just have to be smarter and more disciplined. Brandon asked if he could play the four eventually if we got a center. And I, I think offensively, you still want him to get that outside shot down before you feel comfortable with him out there as a as a number four with a with a good five that's a big guy. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really don't ever see him playing the four really. Even if he ha- he has the shot, he's such a good screener. Um, and uh, you know some of the stuff you want to do. He he's not a four. It's just yeah. I even on on both on offense and defense. Ip is a five. He's not a a huge five, but he he is a five, and that's what he is. You just have to find ways to use him with the, within the team that. Um, that you have on the court. That's one of the reasons I don't like uh, the offense that we run because it's not meant for guys like him. And I feel like that's a lot of the reasons why we find that, you know, you can see the analytics and all the stats show that he is one of the better offensive players in the NBA, just in general. I mean, um, but within our offense, it kind of throws a monkey wrench in what, the premise of our offense is, which is a lot of guard-dominated uh, um, actions that lead to them deciding who gets the ball. When we have to dump it off to the post, it kind of mucks everything up. Big number for Jalen Green in the last few games, Frank. Uh, he has averaged three and a half free throw attempts this year, or last year he did, but this year he's averaging 5.7, so he's jumped up two. But in his last 10 games, he's averaging nearly eight attempts explain to people why this is a huge deal (laughs) yeah i mean it's a real big deal and excuse me if you hear my daughter crying in the background um but uh you know for him to the score that he's trying to develop into that's going to be part of it you know that's one of his best gifts is that he can score pretty effortlessly even when he's having uh, bad games um in these games the reason he is able to be effective late in the games is the fact that he was getting to the free throw line and it's not a coincidence in those victories. That's what he does. Uh, Jalen Green in our wins is averaging 27 points per game. He's shooting uh, more free throws compared to our losses where he's averaging about 19 points per game. If he plays bad, then it's harder for us to win, obviously, because he's one of our better players. And one development for him in getting to the line is that in those close games, you're able to slow the game down, right? A lot of times with our team, when things go out of hand, they go out of they go south fairly quickly because then the guys start pushing, taking bad shots. They're uh, forcing the action. When you see those veteran teams like James Harden um, has played on, like Chris Paul, some of those guards we had, if you remember late in the games, what do they do? They get to the line, they slow the pace down, and if you're down, getting to the free throw line stops the bleeding and allows you to kind of get points as you're trying to make a comeback. And if you're up, you can really just kind of keep the team off by just getting there. So it's it's almost a mandatory skill set 
that he needs to develop in order to be the person that we think he's going to be. Um, but it is definitely encouraging to see. I was really worried about that because it, during the start of the year, it didn't seem like he had made an, any improvements in trying to draw fouls or, or getting guys in position to foul him. But it seems like that's something that has been coming on uh, fairly uh, recently. Oh, yeah. And those two wins uh, against the Hawks and the Suns were, you know, he was parading to the line, especially late in the games. And, you know, Frank, it's it's the big thing. The superstars, they get, you know, they get the foul line. We know that. This is like every, every guy in history, if you want to be great, you're getting to the foul line at least probably eight times with some players. You know, it's between 10 and 12. We saw, of course, a lot with James Harden, too. All right, let's uh, talk. I, I got to ask you about. Uh, this uh, little thing that I saw today on Tari Eason, because uh, you know how much I love Tari and I know you love yeah. him. And Zach Lowe was uh, showing a yeah. ton of love to Tari. Just, I just listened to that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, so if anybody out there missed it, uh, Zach Lowe, ESPN, just showing love to Tari Eason on his podcast today. But like everybody else, he wondered why Eason had slipped as far as he did in the draft. He said, everybody he spoke to said Eason couldn't remember plays. That was the concern. Lowe then said, Frank, he said, Houston is the perfect spot since they never run plays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. Um, if anybody listens to that, it's basically he just echoes all the complaints that Rockets fans have been on uh, spaces and podcasts talking about regarding the offensive system, the team, um, everything pretty much. Um, and like I always tell people, within our Rockets bubble, we have a certain perception and uh, with but outside in the national world, outside of Houston, people really don't think that we're doing anything special here on the Rockets. Um, all the things that usually have been the t- hot topic issues seem problematic, whether it's KPJ at the point guard uh, position, Coach Silas and his system, the lack of structure, the lack of plays, Jabari struggles, even Jalen struggles last year. People just see those things, and we actually get to discuss the details of it, but from the outside looking in, it just looks like we're not doing anything that we're supposed to be doing. But the Tari comment, I mean, Tari does have a bit of um, where he kind of goes, he has brain farts, what I call them, and uh, during the game. Uh, but for me, the reason he's more successful in our offense than Jabari, even though Zach was joking, to, to an extent, it's kind of true. Because Tari is a guy that he doesn't need a play to get him going. And we've talked about this, Robert, before, that he's getting his points off of putbacks, rebounds, he's hustling, he's in transition. All those little buckets and little uh, energy actions that he does is what really gets him on the board, gets his stats looking good, whereas Jabari requires structure. So with Jabari, as they discussed on there, you have to be intentional in the way you use them, like they did at Auburn, where they were running a lot of actions to mask some of his weaknesses. here in Houston, they pointed out that a lot of the things the Rockets were doing were trying to let him figure it out on the perimeter, which turned out to be, you know, not so great for him to start. Um, I think now that they're starting to involve him more in the play calling and using certain actions to get him going, and the guards are more looking for him when they're running their actions, uh, when they're running pick and rolls to, to try to pass off whoever is helping off of Jabari, he's starting to find his rhythm as well. And then you can see that behind the scenes, he's learning some new things that he can add to his game. And just like I agree with, um, with I forgot the guy's name that I was talking to Zach. Uh, I agree with him. You can see the flashes. 
you can see the flashes of, or Zach said that you can see the flashes of what you think Jabari is going to be. Um, for me personally, I just don't believe this is the system that he's going to be his maximum self in because all the bigs I've seen in this system are either popping, just uh, setting screens to pop out for the threes or just waiting somewhere in the corner for a kickout. And I feel like if he's going to draft the guy number three, that's 6'11", that has all that potential that it'll be a waste to just make him be a, a guy that's just catching three-pointers from Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. And the thing about Tari is, I mean, you don't need him to be this guy that creates his own shot with the other guys that you have. You just need him to be somebody that can knock down the open shot. And they were saying on the on that podcast that, you know, he he's not a great shooter, but I mean, I, I don't know what you want him to be as a shooter, but to me, where he is right now, his three-point shooting is perfectly fine, and his free-throw shooting has been good. It was good last year at LSU, and when your free-throw shooting is good, usually that translates to three-point shooting. So maybe it doesn't look pretty always when he shoots the ball, Frank, but it it, it goes in more often than, than not, or it goes in as, as much as you would like from a you know a current three-point stand, standard. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I pointed out he was one of the reasons we actually won that Philly game. And um, the stretch he had, I think it was in the third or late second quarter, um, really kept us in the game. Um, his his style of play right now is just is just the basic just hustle. So for 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 him, whether it's a shooting or his decision making, those are things that you can coach up. And if the coaches uh, see the value in, in a player like him, because I'm really high on him too, because I feel like if you can hone some of those things, get the shooting more consistent, then you can start adding little things to his game where he does generate his own offense. Because I think he has that potential to put the ball on the ground, maybe not like a guard, but at least be able to beat a, a guy in his position or a four or a five that he gets switched on off the dribble and get to the rim. Um you know, that's a valuable player in the archetype of a three and D. If you have a three and D guy that could push the pace in transition, he can uh, put the ball on the ground. Maybe someday he can be a, a, a playmaker where he can just do what KJ's doing at basic drive and kick. That's a value pick. Then with his frame and his that kind of his just fluent a- athleticism, um, I think that if mentally, if he can focus, because I do see the mental lapses, some of the tunnel vision stuff. The stuff in transition, the just throwing the ball up into the you know into the ether and hoping it goes in. Uh, some of those things I'm a little kind of worried about, but he's a young guy. Um, if that can get cleaned up, then he's definitely a guy that you you want um, on your team that's going to be contributing to winning uh, in the future. Yeah, I, I just don't get the basketball IQ thing with with him because the the guy that I see is somebody that's improved and improved and improved and improved from year to year, from game to game. We saw. He had that struggle where he couldn't make a layup and he was having all sorts of issues. And we're already seeing him him getting better at that. And from everything you hear, he's working on it and he works on stuff. And if you work on things, you're going to get better. So I I just don't have a whole lot of concerns about it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's coaching. Uh, Those are things you can coach up. I forgot who who, was, I think it was Mike Tomlin. He said, just give me the kid. If you have, if the person has the effort um, to, and this, uh, he was being interviewed about just his view on coaching. The coach's job is to, is to clean up some of those things. So I think they, if they keep working on him, he, he'll be fine um, with all that. Um, IQ is a kind of a loaded word. Um, I'm not sure what they're insinuating with that. 
can he play basketball? Yes. Does he make bad decisions sometimes on the court? Yes. Um, is he a young player that could improve and make better decisions? Yes. So um, as long as his effort and, like you said, the will and the want to be good is there, then he should be fine. And he's got basketball radar as much as I've ever seen with any Rocket over yep. the last 15 to 20 years. So that counts for something. Hey, Frank, a, an underrated storyline for the Rockets in the last couple of weeks is the Lakers' resurgence. And I say that because if they're playing well, the, <laughs> yeah, Lakers can be, <laughs> the, the Lakers can be a real player for an Eric Gordon trade. Yeah, as you and I speak tonight, yeah, they, they, they got beat by the Cavs, but the Cavs are you know, one of the best teams oh, in basketball yeah. right now. And that's, that was a road game. So, and they lost, and, and also the Lakers lost to Anthony Davis because of the flu early in that game. But if the Lakers are playing well, they can play, be a real player for Eric Gordon. And whenever any Laker pundit mentions them, they insist they need more shooting around LeBron and Anthony Davis. So, you know, I, I mentioned to you a Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn, maybe a second round pick for Eric Gordon appears to be an ideal trade. What did you think of that one? Yeah, I I would the for the Pat Beverly. I know he's not playing well right now in LA, but I would love Pat for a second round pick. And honestly, there's I'm I'm not that I'm low on EG, but just for some of the stuff we've talked about ad nauseum with trying to get the fours like with Tari and them getting them more playing time, he's he is blocking off a lot of playing time for a lot of guys. That those EG thirty two minutes a night is really kind of um, hampering a lot of players from getting their right exposure on the NBA level, including Tari and KJ and some of these other guys and some of the lineups that we want to see. Uh, so just for that alone, I mean, I would be willing to trade him probably for an early second-round pick. But if you're going to throw in Pat Beverly, I don't really care about the Kendrick Nunn piece, but the Pat Beverly part is really where I'm at because – People could clown Pat Beverly. He's not a great shooter. He's not the greatest player ever. But one thing you can't say about that guy, where he goes, um, a certain attitude follows with it. And I put a value on players like that because for a young team, you need a guy that's going to be able to get in the face of Kevin and Jalen and Alperin and Tari and tell them when they're at wrong. Because I feel like aside from Coach Lucas, um, Coach Silas is not that type of – he doesn't take that type of approach to uh to players he's more of a motivator and he's going to kind of encourage them uh sometimes you need, need somebody that's going to put you know put their foot up your backside and, and uh you know let you know when you're out of line or when you're doing something wrong and I feel like a guy like Pat Beverly that's respected around the league um high character dude intense um is is a guy that's going to bring it every single game he's not going to dominate the ball from our guards he doesn't need to be the star of the show those are the type of vets that we need in and he could help at least two or three guys on the roster right now. So I think just for the Pat Beverly part, I would make that trade in a heartbeat. Yeah. And to me, it's just, uh, he's an expiring contract. Those contracts match up. That's what you have to look for. That's the game that you end up playing. And I know Rockets fans ideally want a first round pick for EG, but when you scour around the NBA, it's hard to find contenders who can match salaries for Gordon and who still have a first round pick. Keep in mind that some contenders have given away most or all of their future first-rounders, like the Clippers, Lakers, Cavs, T-Wolves, and 76ers, just to name a few. I look at the Suns and the Pels, who have future picks, but you'd have to take back future contract money if you're trying to match contracts with Devontae Graham and the Pelicans or Landry Shamit with the Suns. And I mean, Frank, trading Gordon, I think it's complicated, and it's more complicated than we think because you're trying to dump $20 million, but you don't want those expiring contracts back. And that can be difficult to do. 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, – I think the first-round pick for him has, has sailed. Um, even, I mean, his value probably is at an all-time low right now, given how he's played. Uh, he's been so up and down this season, so it gets a little more complicated this season. They should have traded him last year. Um, when he was playing really, really well around this time last year, if you remember, he was probably having probably his best shooting splits of his career. And you would think that's the time the iron is hot. You got you to gotta strike. We didn't. We goofed at it. Rafael Stone dropped the ball there. And here we are now. Um, I honestly feel like there is a world where we are just going to use him to just hold money until something else comes up. Uh, but yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be tricky to trade him. Then his contract. If correct me if I'm wrong, um, this season, the next year, it's not guaranteed, non guaranteed. Correct. The well, there there's a player. Uh, there, excuse me. There is a team option, which is much better. It's a great thing for I think these uh, teams because you you have a team option. So right, may, maybe they can flip him in the off season, pick up the option or something like that, and use him as a chip to get something back as opposed to just like he, he's uh, expiring and, and he's gone at the end of the year. And somebody like the Lakers, uh, you know, they, they've only got a couple more years with LeBron anyway. So Eric Gordon for two more years might be perfect for them. Right. So I'm looking at it. Yeah. So he on in 23, 24, his 20.9 million is non-guaranteed. And you said the team has a lot the options on that. Right. Um, yeah. So, and I, I think if, if if I remember correctly, it's structured like in order for him to get it guaranteed automatically, he'd have to win a championship that season or make an all-star team or something stupid like that. Um, and neither of that is happening. I'm I'm curious to see if they do, for the sake of money, try to uh, guarantee the contract or do they let it not. Um, the Rockets could simply, but this would be kind of a, uh, c- a cutthroat move, just lowball him and let him walk but I don't think they would do that to Eric Gordon I don't know if you think they would take that approach yeah because they have the right to do that to not guarantee the parts based on the incentives that he has and then just let him expire that's you know and they have the money to just eat that and let him walk away but I don't know if Stone is is, that's more of a uh, what's the GM that's in Utah right now Uh, that's more of his deal uh, over there, but I don't know if Stone is, is a guy like that. Yeah, I just I, there's no way I see him around the whole year. And the other part about that is, you know, if if you keep him, you're talking about keeping around for next year, but you have three fir- three first round picks you've got coming in next year potentially. I so, mean, I don't know about that. He might be, man. I, I I've been trying to like I've seen your trades. I, in fact, there are people that were online posting trades about what the Rockets should target. Um, it's just. I just don't see like um, any any trades that would work for us um, right now, except the one you propose, I think is a good trade. But then I don't know if the Rockets would pull that off because Stone would have to admit that he he really misstepped if he gave up EG for a second. He's going to admit it anyway if you don't get anything for him and you don't trade him at all. It just it, it looks like a big goof. And, you know, I just. Like it, it never made any sense to me why they kept him around, and it's making less and less sense when you've got all of the guys that you got that you're you're not letting have playing time, and it makes also less sense that you're not playing them in the backcourt where you really need the help. I mean, none of it makes any sense to me. So you know, I, I, I logically I can't see them 
holding on to him for another year. It just, it's ridiculous. And I think Eric Gordon at that point, he, he, he doesn't all look all that engaged right now. Imagine him for oh, yeah, another year at this. <laughs> He'd be sitting there smiling on the sideline with uh, Lionel Hollins if that happened. Um, but I, I mean, I, there's another, I mean, they might just re-sign him and just restructure his contract too. I, I don't really, I don't know what logically means because to me, logically he should have been traded already. So I'm not sure, like, if I can assume that this year I've I've been in this. We're gonna trade Eric Gordon boat for like this is like the third season, it seems like in a row that we're having these conversations and it just never happens. So I'm not sure. Cosada's called him an extension of himself on the court. Um, you know, Rafael Stone probably loves the guy. Uh, maybe they just like him. Maybe they just like him. There's a. I mean, they could they could easily restructure his contract. They can eat the money have him as a quote-unquote vet that can come off the off the bench next year um, if they don't find something they want. Because like you pointed out, if he goes for a second-round pick, yeah, that's a big goof. You know, picks are not just willy-nilly. These are assets that teams would kill for. And for you to possibly have had multiple second-round pick, uh, first-round picks uh, on the table for him and we're, is, we're not able to cash in on any of them, and you, he end up going for a second, uh, for a second, and that's, you know, to me that that's that's a big goof on that. Well, I think some GMs look at, not all of them, but I think some of them look at a high second round pick as more valuable if they get a high second for from the Lakers than a low first round pick because the first round pick is guaranteed money. You can a lot of times you can get a really good deal on a guy and and high high in the second round. So I mean, I, I've heard that theory out there, and it and it does have some validity. It seems to me. Yeah, but my my thing with that theory is that it it's only looks at it from that that perception of the money part. I also look at the value of of some of those first round picks just to the rest of the NBA. So if a team that doesn't have a first round pick, what is the value? To me, first round picks are cash. That's NBA currency. Picks are cash. So you you know, I I would want uh, um, you know, $20 more than $10. So even if it's not $100, I'm still you can do a lot. We've seen like, for example, moving up in trades or moving up in the, in the, if you, we had a pick in the teens or whatever, if we wanted to make a move to move up, you um, could use some of those picks to do that. Um, and some of those late first round picks. Um, I did a thing on the spaces when I talked about all the players like uh, a Desmond Bain and all these guys that are gems that you find in those late first rounds that you may not have three, four, five picks later as it slips into the second. So um, I know that's not, something we're trying to do because we have about a thousand picks already. Uh, but, you know, to me, it was just for other teams, they know that. So they should have gotten, he should have be gone, but I would, I would take the Pat Bev trade. I would take it. I think that's a good trade for him. Yeah. And I, I don't even know if that gets done. If the Lakers decide they can get somebody better than Eric Gordon, but I think Eric Gordon fits in perfectly with what they're missing right now. And I, you know, I think it, it's way better than keeping those two guys. Obviously I think, that those two guys are going to be combined somehow. There was a, a piece written about that, or, or somebody was basically said that in the story that that's an option for the Lakers that they're considering. So I, I think that's a, a very realistic. You know, you look around at some of the other options, some of the other names I've heard brought up, and I think Eric Gordon is is good or better than all the other names brought up. As as much as we have issues sometimes, Frank, with Eric Gordon and some of the stuff here, I mean, he's so much more valuable as a six man or a seventh guy and a, and a team that's, you know, trying to win and they've got all the other things set in place and he's just got to go in and play his role 
and some of the stuff that we don't like about Eric Gordon, he didn't have to do because he doesn't have near as much responsibility for a team like that. Yeah, I think he's just being forced to do not forced, but he's doing what he's that's what he's doing right now in the role he's playing is not what he is. That's not Eric Gordon when he's engaged in his role as a player that's like you said a six man he's one of the best six men in the nba like this guy he's a guy that's going to guard he's going to shoot make his shots he's going to be able to get downhill into the paint and and drive and and get fouled uh he can play in the playoffs he's been there done that he's a guy you don't have to worry about him um in any series because he's been in the biggest series against the best teams in nba history so and and performed at that so, yeah, he's he's raised the level of it of his yeah, play. Yeah, exactly. I'm, that 2019, uh, his 2019 playoff runs was impressive. You know, even though the rest of the team wasn't playing great, um, him and Harden uh, were one of the few people in that in that series that we lost to the Warriors in the second round. He played really well, and he's we've seen what he's done to Donovan Mitchell in the past and all those things. So he's a valuable player, and I think it gets lost in Houston. I'm shocked that a lot of teams aren't really just aggressively trying to get him anymore. It seems like maybe they've just given up like we have. Like, you know what? Stone is never going to let go of Eric Gordon because there was a point in the 2021-22 season where on all the podcasts, all the Zach Lowe's and all that, he was always the name that came up for Cleveland, for all these teams, the Lakers, all these teams that needed that veteran guard, that six man. And now it's just crickets. So, but it goes back to what I'm saying. Like so many of these teams, you know, you've got to match salary up. And the thing is, if you're giving up $20 million in salary, those are a lot of times are are veterans that you have in your rotation that if you get Eric Gordon, is it an upgrade if you give those guys up? And, you know, I go through the trade machine. I look at it that, I mean, if anybody is out there, you can do it yourself. You just go into that ESPN trade machine and start looking around and then start trying to match salaries and start finding the veteran guys that will match up that that team won't get worse uh, or won't just be treading water by trading Eric Gordon for that vet or those two vets. Usually it's a, it's two contracts that you've got to combine. That means two vets that you got to go. Do I want to give up two vets for one guy? Do I want to go two for one? Is that enough of an upgrade to go two for one for Eric Gordon? And, and that's the conundrum that a lot of teams have. And like I said, what's happened with first round picks is that so many teams have given up all of their first round picks or most of them in these blockbuster trades. So they don't, they, they can't, and they don't want to give up first round picks. It's either they can't or don't want to. And when you look at uh, what's going on in the NBA right now, sometimes teams just say, well, let me hoard these first round picks because that's what they do now. They give up, you know, multiple first round picks. We yep. saw Daryl Morey. Remember, Frank? Yep. Daryl Morey yep. did this. He was trying to do this with Jimmy Butler. Everybody yep. thought he was crazy, and now everybody's doing that. But he was trying to get Jimmy Butler from Minnesota and, and, and was going to give up, I don't know, what was it, four first or yeah. something? Yeah, for four first, which sounded wild at that time. But, yeah, like you said, looking now what Rudy Gobert went for, that's, that's, that's not a bad deal. Um, yeah, I mean, I think even with the, like the Phoenix Suns was a team that he was room, like was supposed to be a perfect fit last year for him. And honestly, they needed him. Um, they, the Phoenix Suns could have used Eric Gordon on their roster, uh, especially as they were playing Dallas and getting destroyed. Um, but I think because so much has changed in the NBA, some of, some of these blockbuster trades to your point that the teams, the ship might have sailed on a lot of those teams, as you pointed out, because they just don't have the assets to match. 
um, to to kind of fill the need that what they would have to give up to get Eric Gordon back. And once again, to me, that falls back on Raphael Stone. Like you have to understand the market and in the NBA, when it's hot, you got to go get it. Um, I just don't see the value in waiting out to see, well, I don't want a late first round pick if I can get, no, like, I think he's going to end up going uh, to a, somewhere or walking. I think that's the, he's either going to, he's going to stay here or he's going to go somewhere on like the lowest return that we could, we could probably have foreseen for him. But otherwise I just want him not off the roster. I'm not going to say like that. Cause I, I really like Eric Gordon, but he is really messing up some of the rotations that we have uh, with these, with these guys. Yeah. And keep in mind because he is so small and he is not a rebounder that, what it's going to make a difference with the Rockets when he's gone, the rebounding, because right now they're already one of the best rebounding teams in the NBA. And you add uh, Tari Eason or Kenyon, likely Kenyon Martin in the starting lineup, but more Tari Eason for sure. Those two guys playing a lot more. It's definitely going to help your rebounding even get better than it is. And I think that's something that the Rockets can just build on as a strength moving forward. And Hey, a quick note, by the way, Frank Jabari Smith now, over the last eight games, is shooting 45% from three. Um, this is the guy that we thought we were getting, and I was wondering when it was all going to kick in. It's kicked in, and and, and I think he kind of needs more shots at this point, don't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely do. I don't like the three for fives and three for sixes. If a guy's going to hit 50%, let him get 10 of them in, especially if that's all he's going to do. Um, if that's what his main uh, shot diet is going to be, three-pointers, then let him get it in, just like Jalen. Uh, average with about 14 shots last year as a as a rookie. Um, I think Jabari should work his way up to that. Not 14, but maybe 10 to 12 shots. And if if eight of those are threes and four are just uh, his attacking closeouts or opportunity he gets in the mid range, then I'm okay with that. But yeah, I, I feel like um, he should be somebody we look towards using because a lot of the shots that he's been hitting, especially as we've been winning these games, are big big shots that are almost daggers. Um, late in games. And I'm glad that he has that ability where he can miss two or three shots. And when it's time in a in fourth quarter, a couple minutes left, he has enough confidence to line it up and be able to drain those shots. And, you know, we've, you've seen like the Robert Horry's play here in Houston. Um, I, I just get some of those flashes from him uh, when, when he shoots. Um, I, I hope he's, he's a better player than Robert Horry because he's a third pick. Um, but um just having a guy that that's tall, that's that's a cold-blooded shooter, is definitely an advantage for the team. And he's playing great defense now as well. Um, his off-ball defense is getting better. His rebounding is improving. He's been a steady rebounder pretty much every game in the past two or three weeks. Um, yeah, I really think he's coming into his own. And uh, one thing I love about Jabari is the attitude. Like, he is a guy that's fiery. I think we we I love that about players, like when they don't take nonsense from anybody. And Zach Lowe pointed that out regarding the uh, Atlanta game where he got into Trey Young's face and which kind of triggered the whole melee that happened there. But, uh, yeah, he, he's coming along good. Um, you know, people are still going to not give him, you know, the credit of almost being a no number one overall pick because of how Paolo is doing. And I'm sure when Chet comes back, that'll also make people say things about like Jabari this, Jabari that. But I think in the long run, they will even out and, um, you know, we'll see who, who's the better player and who impacts winning going forward in their careers. But I'm, I'm happy with Jabari. More good news. The Rockets play the Spurs next, who are kind of awful right now. Then they have seven straight 
home games. The homestand yep. starts with Milwaukee and Phoenix. So, yeah, that's going to be a little tough. But then there's a bunch of winnable games after that. This could kind of get fun, maybe, if they could get something going right here. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. I I, I don't think uh, when me and uh, uh, Space did our last podcast, we were talking about, like, the differences between the Rockets' wins and their losses. And a lot of their wins, it's not really schematic changes or anything out of the ordinary. They just literally, it's their shooting. So they're shooting 10% better on threes than on their wins compared to their losses. Um, and they're getting to the free throw line uh, five more times per game. So if 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 they can be aggressive and they can uh, get to the line and be able to hit their shots, they can win these games. If they don't, I think they could lose to anybody, just even the Spurs. Um, so what I'm hoping for them is what I saw toward late in those games. I like that Jalen is learning to attack. Um, I think for Kevin Porter late in games, we should just let him isolate. Cause when we try to make him run plays, it really kind of messes up a lot of stuff. I think he should be the guy that maybe coach Salas just tells him, Hey, if you, you run your read and you don't see it, go straight to your isolation. And I'm sure that's going to make people mad, but I'm telling y'all, it's better for us than him dribbling, dribbling, dribbling with two seconds left in the quarter than trying to, you know, pass the ball to somebody or just holding it there till it's a shot clock violation. So if he knows what he has to do to start and then just let Jalen run, run some of those actions late in games, like he was doing um, against Philly, like Robert, if you go look at the um, playmaking that Jalen green, even though he only had seven assists, I went back and watched all the assists you know how quarterbacks have the route tree of throws? That was the the assist tree. I'm talking about he was doing uh, passes across the court. He had a couple um, kind of pocket passes to Shangun on the roll. He had some passes on the pick and roll to the help side. On the weak side, he had it on the strong side. He He had a pass where KPJ cut to the basket, and he got it behind the defense. I mean, he made – Every pass that you would see from even a, a guy like Kevin, uh, like Chris Paul, maybe not with the accuracy, but I'm talking about the types of passes, which tells me like the whole notion that he needs training wheels. Um, they might be doing the point guard experiment on the wrong guy, in my opinion. I, I really would love to see him get a lot of those reps and see how far he can go with this, because I really think he has a talent for it that is kind of hidden right now. And there might be your answer for the people that are not as much interested in Kevin Porter as the point guard. But uh, remind everybody what you got going on over at Rockets Chop Shop. You got any new uh, stuff coming out pretty soon? Uh, we just kind of make content based on the games um, and how how they come. If you guys, we do uh, post-game uh, live streams uh, on the channel. Then, you know, we do podcasts and different things. So if you guys, the channel is the Rockets Chop Shop. Um, you know, just go over there, check it out. If you like the content, go ahead and uh, subscribe and, and, you know, just kind of show up some love. We try to really uh, bring uh, deeper conversations like we're having here with me and Robert to the game. So it's not just hot takes and, uh, you know, all this kind of uh, fanboyism that we see on, on in the NBA world. So, yeah, definitely check us out if you like a good basketball talk. Yeah, great stuff over there. And join us for more conversation over on, his spaces every t- every just about every game pretty much yeah I guess. we try to run him every game unless it's something like in the west coast where we finish at midnight but yeah, yeah. those are fun but uh hey man thanks for doing this let's do it again next week man Talk yes to you. sir all right thanks bro
You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.